0: As humans, we often struggle with context when it comes to our faith and regularly fail to apply the Word of God in our daily lives. Veritas podcast is a weekly Bible study led by Rev. C.B. Samuel and through it, we try to understand and locate the roles we are called to play in the world we live in by delving into the teachings of the Holy Bible. We welcome you to join us in learning more from the Word of God and in learning how to live out meaningful lives as Christians. Good evening, it's nice to be back again and we're looking at Isaiah chapter 49 and 50 if possible. Remember we started this series a few weeks ago and our main theme was the whole aspect of communicating hope in the context of hopelessness. There may be many reasons why people go through hopelessness, perhaps The uncertainty of the future, the pain of the present, all sorts of things. And it's not unique. All through history, there have been many times when people have gone through hopelessness. And many died, perhaps, in that situation. Many gave up. But the world has continued to move on. And it's good for us to understand as to what does it mean for us to be those who are living in the context of hopelessness as the instruments of hope. And I believe that the best way to do that is to go to look at the one who is the embodiment of hope. That is God himself. Over and over in the scripture, we are encouraged to go to God as the God who is our hope. And if you remember, what we started looking at is the prophet Isaiah's words of hope, which are found for us in chapters 42 to 66, in, you know, which came alive to the people when they were living as exiles in a foreign country. So we started this journey a few weeks ago. And uh, one of the great things is that the Bible ushers into us this possibility of hope. Now, we don't need to know much about hopelessness that is all around us. But what we need is to know how to be people of hope. One of my favorite writers whose quotes I love reading is the person G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton uh, has written many books perhaps, but uh, I've come across many of his quotes which are quoted by people. And here is one that I want to read to you. He says, Fairy tales are not responsible for producing in children fear or any of the shapes of fear. Fairy tales do not give the child the idea of evil or the ugly. That is in the child already because it is in the world already. Fairy tales do not give the child his first idea of boogie. What fairy tales give the child is his first clear idea of the possible defeat of boogie. The baby has known the dragon intimately ever since he had an imagination. What the fairy tale provides for him is a St. George to kill the dragon. What an excellent quote. What an excellent quote. And I believe that what he said is the way that we have to look at the word. The word is not a fairy tale. The Bible is not a fairy tale. But what the Bible does invite us is to understand that the evil around us and the sense of hopelessness around us can be actually dealt with. And so this is the invitation for us to constantly grapple with the thought on how do we live to be instruments of hope. And in chapters forty to 48, we saw that it began with the announcement about God. Here is your God. That's what the prophet said. It is to restore again a picture or an understanding of God as the one who is in control of human history. And then... The prophet invited the people of Israel to make a choice of hope, a choice of authentic hope, as against the many merchants of false hope around us. And then the last time we saw that the way God works is through instruments of hope. And if you remember, I said there was this character who's introduced to us in the book of Isaiah, who's called the servant. And that's what we noticed last time. The servant, God's instrument of hope, is the servant whom God calls, chooses, and sends out. And the word servant, as we saw last time, could be the nation Israel itself. Many times God calls Israel his servant. But a servant who perhaps did not fulfill God's expectation. A servant who displeased God. Because God had used Israel as the nation that can bring hope to the world. That's what he called them for. My servant Israel. But if you remember, we saw that the servant was seen as someone who was dead or deaf and blind and strayed away from God. Then the prophet himself is used sometimes as the servant. And then, of course, we saw that God calls people to be his instruments of hope who may not acknowledge God at all. It could be anyone, like Cyrus, much before he was born. Because God's purpose is restoration. And this restoration is a long-time project. And God plans it or planned it even before the foundation of the world. And so very important for us to understand how this process works. And so we saw that one of the important aspects of God's working of hope is through servants. And as we saw last time, one of the key characters of Isaiah is what we usually consider as the suffering servant or the Messiah fulfilled in Jesus' coming. And so today I want to move on to the section starting with chapter 49 and I want to do two studies on that, chapter 49 to 55. It's a rich passage. It's a lot about the servant and what the servant is going to do. And I want to look at it because the characters of servant in the book of Isaiah is introduced to us also through what is called Four Servant Songs, which basically are songs because they are very poetically written and not just poetically written, but also describes the servant. And so we're going to look at that. And so in today's study, we started verse 1 of chapter 49, and we look at the servant as the one whom God has chosen. So I'm going to look at chapter 49 and chapter fifty. So keep your Bibles open and look at it. And what it describes is the way God uses his servant and also the end result of that Servant's message as to what it does in the world. So Isaiah 49, in the first few verses, the prophet's words are the words of the servant who talks about how the servant was called. Let me read it for you. Isaiah 49, verse 1. Listen to me and hear this. You distant nations, before I was born the Lord called me and from my mother's womb he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. What we find here is that The servant says that the idea of God calling and using him as the servant was born in the mind of God, even before he says he was born. And what a lovely thought. That is, God is constantly thinking as to how to restore. And so in that imagination or in the... Planning of God, He actually conceived the idea of the servant to call someone. And not only call, but also He said, He has very specifically formed me for the task. And what does He say? He says, He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. You know, He the beauty of this is that not only does he call the servant, not only really does he think about the forming, even before the servant appears, the plan, but he also shapes the servant in such a way that the servant fulfills God's plan. And as we come back to the New Testament time and all through the scriptures, while the term servant is largely about Jesus himself, the Messiah, or the nation Israel, God calls people, and many of them call themselves as the servants of God. Like the Apostle Paul considered himself as a servant of God. And so you and I, to some extent, can take on the title because we are called to serve God. Of course, Jesus said, No longer do I call you servant, but I call you friends. The relationship is a very intimate relationship. But we are in the world as those who are the servants of God. And we are not here as those who are an accident. Once God has redeemed us, we must understand that we are actually called to have a purpose in this world. And that purpose is to bring hope, to be a servant of God. And he actually shapes us. He shapes us for that purpose. And the writer, using the words of Isaiah, describes an interesting issue, is that the servant's attitude to this calling Because he says here, he said to me, verse 3, You are my servant in Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Because through the servant, God was going to display his splendor. The servant was not only the communicator of the splendor of God, but also the display of the splendor. And that is very important for us to understand. God displays his splendor. He takes us when we are nobodies and makes us into something that God can use. And that process itself is a display of the splendor of God. And not just the fact that we become instruments that are worthy of God's working, but also he transforms us. And that transformed life is also A declaration of the splendor of God. So when we are in the hands of God, what happens is that the way God works on us, we actually display the splendor of God. And very important for us to understand that when people see us, they not only hear about the splendor of God, but we become the display of the splendor of God. And that is how hope is communicated. When we go into a situation of hopelessness, we not only carry the words of hope, but we also carry the display of hope in our lives. But sometimes the servant struggles with that. Not with the fact of that lofty role that God has for us, but sometimes the fruit doesn't come as early as we think. So in chapter 49 and verse 4, the servant says, I have laboured in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. Now what is happening is here, the, the servant is actually at some time when he doesn't see things happening, perhaps feels that, you know, he has labored in vain and nothing has happened. But the reason that it is here is not because of the feeling of the servant, but the way God helps the servant to handle it. There are times when we strive, we communicate the message of hope, we display But we may not get a response, but the writer, what the servant says here is that when he feels like that, his greatest reward is the fact that God is with him. He said, the hand of God is upon me and my reward is with my God. It's not what fruit we get from our work. It will happen in its own time. But what is very important is that the attitude of the servant is that God is with me and my reward is from God. And this is what God says. And now the Lord says to me, he who formed me in the womb to be a servant. He says, I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has been my strength. He says, it's a privilege to be called to be a servant of God. I'm honored in the eyes of my God. Very important for us to have a right attitude as we serve God. As we are instruments of God. It's not about us. Yes, we display the splendor of God. It is a privilege. The hand of God is upon us. And our reward comes from God. And we are honored in the eyes of God. God is our strength. And sometimes perhaps we feel that... What is so great about being a servant? And this is what God tells the servant. He says, God says. He says in verse six, "It is—is is it too small a thing for you to be my servant?" He said, "Do you sometimes feel that, you know, what's so great about being a servant?" He said, "No, it's not a small thing. You are privileged." You are honoured in the eyes of the Lord. What an attitude to have as we go out into this world. People may not recognise us. They didn't recognise Jesus. But it was a privilege to be a servant of God. Your reward comes from God. You display the splendour of God. And very important to understand it's not a small thing. Why is it not a small thing? Because This is what God tells the servant because he said he formed me to be a servant, to bring back Jacob to him, to gather Israel to him. And then in verse 6, to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may may reach to the ends of the earth. And he says, God is with us. And even though there may be times the servant was despised, it says in verse 7, he says, kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful. He says, what you have been called for is a great work to restore, to call people to return to God to bring light, light to the people so that the salvation of God may reach the ends of the earth. It may look small, it may not look significant and you may even be considered despised but he says this is from God and one day people will begin to see. And I think it's important when we consider ourselves you know, as instruments of hope. Not to think of this particular calling as something which is a casual, small, insignificant calling. It is a great calling to display the splendor of God, to announce the splendor of God. Because in that whole process, we're going to bring light to the people. We are going to bring the salvation of God to the ends of the earth. We're going to restore. And so... The calling of being a servant is a very important calling. And that's why Isaiah would emphasize. And Jesus was the ultimate. He was the model servant. He became obedient, it says, even as a servant. And what a fantastic picture we have. Because in the world today, there are a lot of people who are big talk people, who do a lot of things, but all through history, Hope has come not through these big, massive institutions and words and more people. It has come through small communities as people who bring hope, just being available to God. I will never forget my times whenever I have met Mother Teresa from Calcutta. Every time I used to meet her, what stuck me was... You know this name which is so popular all around the world because of the work she did in bringing hope to ordinary people in the, from the streets of Calcutta not just Calcutta, all around the world. Children who were abandoned. People who were dying. Helping them to smile. And helping them to enjoy the compassion of people. She was such a famous person. But when he looked at her, She was a very frail person. And you begin to say, that is how God uses people. And remember, wherever we are, we are called to be servants of God, to display the splendor of God. And it's a privilege. Honor in the eyes of God. And God is with us. And and reward is from God. And so basically, in this section, we see how the servant is portrayed as someone who has been shaped, called to be used by God. And in verses 8 onwards till the end of the chapter are the images of hope. The message of this prophet, the servant, prophetic servant, who makes the announcement of hope also includes What are the images of hope? What God is going to do? Well, we are called to be the instruments of hope. The process of restoration is the work of God. We can announce hope. We can be the ones who can get alongside people. But when things begin to change, the author is God himself. And that is what we see in verses 8 onwards. And this is what it starts with. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. In the day of salvation, I will help you. He says, God says, one of the things that the servant has to learn is while the servant is fully available to God, the process of hope is in the timing of God. We we are there. To communicate. But God begins that process in the time of my favour. When God decides. And then he will work. And he says, what would happen? What is that God is going to do? The whole picture. I don't know what are your images of hope. You know, if you were to go into a situation and become the instrument of hope. You know, we go with a lot of ideas. Many of you perhaps have dreams that you would do this and do that and change that and change this. But it's good to always imagine how hope looks like. The imagination. And the prophets are full of imagination or pictures of that hope. And if you look at verses 8 onwards, it's filled with this idea of what it looks like. And it's such a holistic hope. It talks about the restoration of land to reassign its desolate inheritance. It includes the restoration of land to the people and to reassign its desolate. By now, land has become desolate, not looked after. Perhaps the whole agony that people went through and with no one to look after the land, people have lost, they have gone out and many times in our country and around the world. And God begins by restoring that land. And then the prophet is also told, the servant is told to say to the captives, come out and to those in darkness be free. A second beautiful imagery in Isaiah is the announcement of freedom. What a lovely picture. There is no hope that does not bring freedom. There can be no hope at all. You may feel that you are getting a lot of things. But there cannot be hope without freedom. And then not only that, it goes on to say they will feed besides the roads and find pastures on every barrier hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst and neither the sun will beat down on them because God will have compassion on them. It is not only about the land being restored, it's not only about announcement of freedom, but it is also announcement of plenty. There will be no more hunger. Images of hope. You see, one of the important things about being hope bringers is to imagine how hope would look like. When you are a doctor or someone medically serving people, you are imagining what is the end result of your treatment. You are hoping that the person would have health, would walk again. The imagination of hope is very important. And not only would land be restored, hunger will be stopped or eradicated, but it says, I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. You know, access would be made for people to come back. And God, when he does this work, he says, shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth. The whole of creation is called to celebrate hope. Sometimes, here again, Zion says, the Lord has forsaken me. You know, maybe there are situations when you feel hopeless. And among the message, messages of hope that goes out from the servant is to say, no, the Lord has not forsaken. You may feel like that. And so God tells Zion, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she had born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Yes, it looks painful when we see things happening. But very important is that God understands and he will never forget. Even when he destroyed the earth through the flood, he felt bad after that. And when he saved Noah and the family and the animals, he sent a rainbow to say, I will never again destroy mankind through water. That's the God we have. He says... The Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. He will not leave us because, he says, I have engraved you in the palms of my hand. He said, even though you feel desolate at this time and everything seems to be lost. He says, no, God says, I will restore. I will restore to you, your children. And he says, they will come back. And it's an imagery of plenty and laughter and fun. You should read verses 18 onwards. Lift up your eyes and look. I think it's very important that when we are servants of God, as instruments of hope, there is the final product that we have in mind which inspires us to get involved. God will do it. We're not the ones who are going to change things around We are instruments, but it is he who does it. And he says, when he does that, verse 22, he says, I will beckon to the nations. I will move nations to do what I want them to do. When God acts, he moves mountains. The whole of creation is in his hands. And not just creation, the nations And when we go out to bring hope, remember, we go in the name of God who can move things around. He will change things around. And he says, even those who are opposing us, I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. They will be drunk on their own blood. Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your God. I think I need to stop here. I will continue with chapter 50 later on. But what is very important for us to understand, that God works through his instruments of hope. And in this particular area, it's titled as the Servant. And that Servant was the Messiah. It was about Jesus. And we, his followers, continue to be the servants of God. And my prayer is, wherever we are, that we would be those instruments of hope. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that it is not we who bring hope, but we are instruments of hope. We announce the hope, the message of hope you've given to us. We declare your splendor and we are your splendor. We are the ones in whom the splendor of God is seen. We thank you for that. What a privilege. We are honored in your eyes. And help us never to take this calling so lightly as something that is small. Because you've called us to be the ones who will bring light to the world. You've called us to be the ones who will restore people back again. And we know, God, when we are faithful to you and we go out to live out the gospel, to c- proclaim the message of hope and to be instruments of hope. You have already told us, O God, how that hope would look like and we know that you will make it happen. You will restore the land. You will once again reallocate the inheritance of the people. You will feed the hungry, O God, because you are a compassionate God and you will announce freedom. We thank you for that. And God, we want to see it happen. And I pray that you will use us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking time out and being a part of this Bible study. Veritas Podcast is a podcast run by students and we upload every week on Wednesdays. If you find our content engaging and wish to know more, kindly subscribe to our podcast channel. Thank you for listening and we hope that you are blessed by this initiative.